Good morning, everybody. You guys doing okay today? You guys appreciating our rain-absorbent uh, pews that we installed just for this weekend? The snow, maybe? Um, hope you guys are doing well. My name's Andrew, if we haven't met before, and I'm excited to be here as we kick off this new series uh, entitled Gen We or Generation We. Uh, we're at a really kind of neat point, I think, in our world where there's currently seven living generations in our world today, and I don't know what the makeup of the people in this room is, and I just know how much people love uh, showing their age, so I'm going to have you guys help me figure this out. So it, if we have anybody in here that is in the greatest generation, so you were born 1927 or earlier, would you stand up or raise your hand? Just whatever you want. Anybody here? I saw Angelo's arm go up, but I think he was getting his sleeve out of his shirt. So that, I guess that doesn't count there. Angelo, good to have you here. One of our elders, but not quite to that age, I don't think. Uh, all right. Well, what about uh, the silent generation, if you hate that title? So 1928 to 1945. Anybody in that demographic, would you stand up for us? Love to see here. Awesome. Very good. All right, you can have a seat. All right, so now we have baby boomers. So 1946 to 1964. Would you stand up, please? All right. Very good. Now we've got Gen X up next, is that right? So that is 1965 to, this one gets kind of complicated. We're going to say that if you were born in 1980, you can choose whether you're a Gen X or a millennial because no one can agree on where you're at. But if you're born uh, between uh, 1965 and 1979 or 80, would you stand up? All right. Very good. Oh, there's Angelo. Okay. Not just throwing the hand up. You can't stand up twice, Angelo, okay? All right, uh, now we've got uh, millennials up next. I almost forgot them last service, and that's my generation. So uh, those of you who do not identify as a Gen Xer and were born in 1980 through those born in 1995, would you stand up? All right, very good, very good. Sit down now, you're good. All right, now Gen Z, those born in 1996 through 2010, would you stand up? All right. Man, Savannah was pumped about standing up. When you stand up like that, you get called out. That's how it works up here. Sorry. All right. Now, do we have anybody that was born after 2011? 2011 or later, would you stand up? Okay, they're calling you guys Gen Alpha. Okay, awesome. Very good. Man, everybody just got clapped for today. That was better than I thought. So very good. Um, well, it's really neat to see how uh, our congregation is kind of a melting pot, right? We've got people from all over the place. And uh, one thing um, that, that I just kind of know about our world and our nature as people is sometimes whenever we look at other generations, we aren't the best at like making friends. In fact, we're really good at just like throwing stereotypes on people, right? So we look at the greatest generation, the silent generation and say, hey, you've got a great work ethic. You know, you're, you're really resourceful, but you're kind of stuck in your ways, right? That, that's kind of the stereotype that you might throw out there. If you get into the baby boomers, maybe you look at them, you say, hey, you've got great work ethic, you know, very goal oriented, but you put your work above everything. Your career is more important than everything else. Um, you look at uh, Gen Xers and sometimes the, the piece there is, well, they're, they're very flexible. They, they have a good value on um, a life work balance, but 
they're pretty cynical because their parents forgot about them, right? And they're still blaming their parents for that. So uh, it's Gen Xers. We got our millennials here. And millennials, um, obviously, we're adventurous. We're, we're well-educated. We're global-minded. Um, but we've also been um, called lazy occasionally. We've been um, called uh, some other things, like obsessed with avocado toast, which is more offensive than lazy in my mind. But um, we won't go any further there. Uh, Gen Z, uh, you look at Gen Z and say, hey, you guys are like starting your career path. You look like you're really goal oriented. You're really focused on where you want to go. You're really motivated, but you're also always on your phone, always distracted, and you're lazy because your phone does everything for you, right? So these are stereotypes we throw on people. This is not Andrew Bondurant's analysis of generation. This is Andrew Bondurant saying, this is what generations often say about one another. We find ways to, to maybe have some differences and highlight those differences. But, but sometimes I think those, those differences that people observe, they kind of like populate out of, of people's experiences and, and how those shape us. Because we all have experiences. Every generation has experiences. In fact, that's how a lot of sociologists try to determine um, different, uh, um, different generations and when those would be marked, right? So that, that's how that works. The, the reason that millennials is normally cut off there at 1995 is that the first big event that a lot of them remember is 9-11. So those born after 95 aren't very likely to remember that because they were younger. But millennials, all these different things, people uh, block out generations based upon experiences. And if you look at different generations, another thing you know is that people oftentimes have the, these thoughts about how they are going to, to pass on something to the next generation. They've got big goals maybe for the next generation. But if you look at the way things often work out, uh, oftentimes what people want to happen in the next generation doesn't always happen, right? Anybody here look at maybe the generation in front of you and say, oh, I had bigger hopes for you guys. You kind of let me down. Maybe you're looking at me and my generation. If so, still love you. That's okay. Um, but, but this isn't something that, that's necessarily new. This, this whole uh, generational divider, even the, this challenge of passing what we want from one um, generation to another. It's something that, that's been true throughout history. And to help us see this, I want us to turn to the book of Joshua chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24. As you're turning there, um, just kind of get us cut or caught up on this uh, to help us look at this. This is a story of the people of Israel. People of Israel were delivered out of slavery. God kind of set them free, brought them out of slavery. But the generation that was brought out of slavery that had uh, experienced God's goodness in this powerful way, they were a people that, well, at the same time as they were being led out, they also really struggled to continue to trust God, even though they'd seen God do really powerful things. So because of this decision that this generation made, they end up being um, stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. That generation um, impacts the next generation. That next generation is then formed in those 40 years in the wilderness. This kind of takes us from Exodus to Deuteronomy. And then Deuteronomy has this moment where God calls the entire nation back together. And through Moses, he gives them this charge. He, he kind of charged them, hey, you need to commit yourself to my ways. You need to commit yourself to what I am about. And in this moment, God then sends his people into the land. He promised them to conquer that land with a new leader by the 
name of Joshua. So that brings us to the book of Joshua. Joshua contains the story of how the nation of Israel kind of took this land that God had promised to give them. And there are many moments where the people of Israel struggle, where they struggle to continue to trust God. But in the end, they've been brought into this land. God has given them this land. He's given it into their hands. And we have this moment at the end of Joshua 24 that's pretty well known. But we're going to jump in in verse 14. It says, now, this is Joshua talking to the nation of Israel. He says, now, the fear, or, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will what? Serve the Lord. Right, that's a pretty well-known passage. So Joshua says this to the people and the people say, hey, we know what God did for our parents. We know what God has done for us. And so we are in verse 18. They say, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua says, hey, it's going to be hard, but the people double down. They say, no, we are in for this. They make a commitment before God and each other to take ownership over passing faith from one generation to the next. And that's God's design for every generation, to take that ownership of passing faith to the next generation. Now, if you turn just a couple of pages, you end up then in the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges marks a turn in the history of the nation of Israel. You jump into Judges chapter 2, verse 7, and you read this. It says, The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Things look good right there, but if you read in the next couple of verses, you see that Joshua then dies. And then we come to this moment in verse 10 where it says this. It says, after the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that's a nice way of saying after that generation died, um, another generation grew up who, neither knew, or who knew neither the Lord nor what the Lord had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served Baals. Those are different gods. Uh, they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who, the, uh, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the people around them. This verses there contain some devastating words, that whole idea that they knew neither the Lord nor what the Lord had done for his people is just kind of crushing whenever you think about that coming right after what Joshua and his generation had said that they were going to be all about. If you look throughout the book of Judges, you see that things just spiral from there. Joshua's generation lost the next generation. And the reason why we are starting this series today is that we too are losing the next generation. To help us uh, understand this or maybe get a picture of this, I've got some people who are gonna come help me out. I don't know who actually made it into the room. Come on up here. Yep, Val, you should lead the way. You did this last time. Okay, so there's four. Is Asa in here? Asa, I talked to Asa. Great. And then um, someone texted me and said they weren't going to be here. Ava did. So who's going to be lucky number six? All right, we've got Trevor Silen. Yes. 
He's no longer a high school student, but he can still stand up here with students. This is wonderful. All right. You guys want to, let's, let's go to this side. This side would be wonderful. You look great today. That's a nice shirt. I couldn't pull it off. Good to see you. Okay, great. So, guys, sorry. Hadn't seen each other today. Had to greet each other. So, this is Val. Val is a senior. This is Jess. Jess is a freshman. Lexi is a sophomore. Janisha is a freshman. Asa is a sophomore. Great. And Trevor uh, graduated a couple years ago, but he's helping us out because he's still part of this generation. But for the sake of this exercise, we are going to pretend that all of these people are high school seniors, okay? So, you guys got that in your head? We have high school seniors here. Wonderful. Okay, now what I need from you guys is I need three numbers between the numbers of one and six. Go. Four is the first one I heard. Two, okay, two and six. Four, two, four, six. That's great. That's easy enough. So number two, four, and six. You guys can go back to your seat. Thank you very much. You guys go on back. You guys are stuck right over here. Okay, so just a second ago, just make sure we're on the same page. We had how many people up here? Six. Now we have how many? Three. That is what percent of the number we had before? 50%, right? I heard someone say 60, but we're at 50%, okay? 50% of what we just had up here. Now, now, what we know from research is that if you look at uh, students who are engaged with church all the way up through their senior year of high school, we know that 50% of them, they end up back in the church like our friends just did, but another 50%, they end up walking away from their faith. And so the, the question we have to wrestle through as a church is we have to ask the question, are we okay looking over here and saying, Val, Lexi, Asa, you guys are great and all, but we batted 500 and that's Hall of Fame numbers, okay? So like we're okay with hitting 50% here. That's pretty good in baseball. So it's gonna be good enough for us with the next generation. Are we good with that as a church? No, and we can't be okay with that. See, I want us to be able to look at these three and say, hey, we are going to continue to walk with you. We're going to continue to pour into you no matter what happens. We've got to take ownership of this as a church if we're going to see this change. Thank you, guys. You can go back to your seat. Go ahead and give them a round of applause. If we look at these numbers, I, I think it should probably create a, a sense of urgency in us. I mean, that's pretty serious, right? I was talking to a, a leader who was in high school ministry for over 20 years, and I was talking to him about these numbers, and he, he will sit there with you with tears in his eyes because he's got names and faces of generation after generation of students, after class after class of students that reflect these numbers. Yeah, we're not okay with this. And we can't be okay with this. We've got to be a people that are committed to passing faith to the next generation. Our elders identify this as a priority for the year of 2022 with kids, youth, and families. And so this series is just one of the steps we are taking in this. But this series is actually going to end in a moment on April 10th where we have a moment we're just going to call Commitment Sunday where we're coming together as a church. And what we're doing as a church is we're telling God and each other that we are in it for the next generation. We are taking ownership over this. We are committed to doing our part to see God turn the tide in what's been happening in our churches. 
I was thinking about this over the last week and I was really grateful just to reflect on my own life and to think about the impact that my parents and my older siblings had on my life. But I was also struck just by the number of people that came to mind that, that invested in me that didn't have to invest in me, that like weren't um, legally responsible for me. I thought about Miss Tonda, who, who was my uh, nursery teacher whenever I was little. Someone asked me, do you actually remember her teaching nursery? She was like next level on flannel graph. So I at least remember some of that. I, I don't remember uh, much else, but I remember that. But what I remember most about Miss Tonda is that Miss Tonda still loves me to this day. If I go back to my home church today, Miss Tonda still invested in me as a person. Her and her husband, they had grown kids, but what they actually would do is they opened up their their farm. They had 70 acres. They would let my mom come there and just let uh, the younger siblings that were still uh, around just kind of run around like crazy while my mom could get some uh, breath of fresh air, probably be encouraged by Tonda. So they were people that provided warm spaces for us that let us know that we belong. Uh, I remember in middle school, there was a guy named Andrew who came to a local college and I've talked about him before, but he uh, invested in me whenever I was a really annoying middle school student. And whenever I say really annoying middle school student, I'm not saying anything about middle school students. I'm saying a lot about Andrew Bondurant as a middle school student, just to be clear. He chose to let me stick around him, continue to invest in me. And then that relationship grew to where like he got married the next year. He and his wife let me in their home. A few years later, um, I went and I interned under him and I got to see him and his wife parent young kids while they were expecting their second kids. I got to see how they worked together and how they worked against each other and how all of those things happen in marriage and what that looks like. And I am so grateful for the investment that they made when they didn't have to. I think about people like Rebecca, who was another student at uh, the school that I went to that that is single to this day, but she took her life and she actually poured it into us. She was like a big sibling to me and my siblings. She was like an older sister to us. I think about Martha, who was my best friend's mom, who I think like Martha and my mom's prayers together is the only reason why I'm still living today, probably making it through high school. But I think about all these different people that chose to invest in me, that chose to take ownership over passing on the faith that they possessed. And I am just incredibly grateful. And we as a church here want to see this be something that is a reality for each and every student that walks through our doors. Now, as we've thought about this series over the last five months or so since it got put onto the calendar, uh, we've been drawn uh, many times to that Psalm 145, which we read earlier. So this is gonna go up on the screens here in a second. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. But, but um, we read the first nine verses earlier, and I just wanna pull out some major points there as we think about this idea of passing faith on. It starts out with this idea of great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. The psalm starts out by putting a magnifying glass on how great God is and how worthy God is. And it's like, it's just a natural transition for the psalmist to go from highlighting how great God is to saying this, to saying one generation commends your works to another. You see, whenever we see how great God is, one of the things we're committed to is passing that on to the next generation. I love the pictures that the the, the, um, author uses here to highlight the ways this happens. It says, hey, this generation, they tell the next generation of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. They tell of the power of your awesome deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. These are all different ways that the psalmist is highlighting that faith is passed from one generation to the next. 
through telling, through speaking, through celebrating, through singing, all of these ways, all of these things that we do as a people are ways that um, faith is passed from one generation to the next. We didn't finish out that psalm. I'm going to jump down into verse 10 here to read just the bottom of it. It says, all your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. So in this psalm, we see a couple of things. One, that God is great and he's worthy to be commended to the next generation. And two, that God is on the throne today and he has been for every generation past and will be for every generation in the future. So whenever we think about passing faith from one generation to the next, we must get this picture about the fact that we do this in large part because God is worthy of it and because God is reigning as king. This is our motivation to do this so that the next generation, the generation after that can recognize just how great God is and experience the goodness of living under him as our king. Now, next week, we are going to have uh, King's Kids up here leading worship with us. It's a group of elementary students. I was thinking about this passage this week and this idea we're talking about. And the thing that just kind of bubbled up is this whole idea of like, we want to look at these people next week, have them help lead us in worship. But we want to see these same kids leading as worshipers in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, in 40 years. We don't want that to be just some memory in the past of, oh, yeah, wasn't it cute whenever you got on stage and led worship No, we want this to be something that shapes them and forms them for years to come. Now, Phil and Diane Comer wrote a book called uh, Raising Passionate Jesus Followers. And in it, they wrote about what it looks like whenever faith is passed from one generation to the next generation. First, they kind of talk about why it is that that sometimes doesn't happen. In there, they talked about how oftentimes in communities of faith, there will be a first generation that has an experience of God that changes everything. People have an encounter with God and that changes their life. But then the next generation after them, that second generation, what often happens is that generation will know God, but they won't experience God. They'll know about God, but they won't have a personal encounter with him which leads to the third generation after them being a generation that neither knows God nor experiences God. That's the picture we saw in the book of Judges, right? That's what happens from Joshua to Judges. You have this nation that experienced God. You have this people that have experienced all these great things in this generation, and then you end up with a generation following them who neither knows God nor experiences him. So what is God's plan maybe to reverse this? Well, Phil and Diane Comer have this idea that that what we want to see happen in the church is that every generation becomes the first generation. AKA every generation needs to have an experience, an encounter of God for themselves. I remember sitting in this room about 10 years ago whenever uh, Ken Eidelman was our senior pastor. I was sitting like right where Tycho's at, right over here on a Saturday. Sorry, Tycho, you were just right where, I was sitting in that area. Good to see you. Um, but I was sitting right over there. I remember Ken Eidelman making this statement that has stuck with me ever since that illustrates this too. I've heard other people use this since, but, but he said the statement that, that God doesn't have grandchildren, but only children. 
God doesn't have grandchildren. No, every single person must experience life with God as father, being his child. It's not something that you're grandfathered into. It's something that is passed from one generation to the next. But but it's not like God has these, these kids that just get grandfathered in. No, each and every generation must have an encounter with God. This is what we mean whenever we say that we want to see each generation be the first generation. And I love this statement from Phil and Diane Comer as they, they kind of wrap up this section of their book. They say this, they say, we want our kids to not only profess a faith, but to actually possess a real faith. Y'all, we are rallying around this idea. We want to be a church where kids not only profess a faith, but possess a real faith. Not only that, but we want each and every person in this room to be a person who not only professes a faith with their mouth, but actually possesses a real faith that changes how you live day in and day out. God has called us to be a people who pass on faith, a real faith from one generation to the next. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 6 kind of gives us a picture of God's design for this, um, for the nation of Israel. And we are going to be in this passage um, pretty much every week throughout this series. So I'm just going to touch on something here really quick as we jump in. But um, hope you'll get comfortable with this passage. I encourage you, maybe read this a couple times a week just before you come in. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 4. It says this. It says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, this passage here is often called the Shema. And Shema is just the the first word there that is translated as hear. And what does it say here? Who is it that's supposed to hear the words that God is saying? Hear, oh, Jeremy, help me out here. You say this all the time, okay? Hear, oh, Israel, right? Israel, it is for the whole nation here. This is not something that's just for any one person. This is for the people to come together under. Hear, O Israel. What is it that they're supposed to hear? What is it that they're supposed to listen to? What are they supposed to obey? They're supposed to know the reality of who God is. They're supposed to know that the Lord is God, the Lord is one, and then they are to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength. This is a picture of these people being a people who hear God's voice and run after him with all that they are. This was God's call to the entire nation. This wasn't just a call to a single family. We are called as a congregation here at Crossroads. I think we could insert ourselves there. We are called together to be a people who love God with all we are. But there is a special call here for parents as well. This passage as a whole is a congregational call, but there's a special role for parents to play. You see this pop up in verse seven, as it says to impress these commands on your children. Parents are charged with the the task day in and day out of teaching their children who God is and how to obey what God has laid before us. There's an expectation of this happening in the home when you rise, when you go, the whole when you sit down, when you stand up. All those different pictures are pictures of this happening both inside the home and outside of the home. 
This is a, a call for parents to facilitate within their environments. But, but we need to remember that, again, this doesn't happen in a culture that reflects our exact culture today. We have a culture today that's very individualistic. We are very much focused on what I want, what impacts my family, what does this do for me, how does this impact me, what do I need to know from this? When the reality is this call right here was to a community that would see these families as being part of larger families that would be part of a larger body that is called the people of Israel. The same is true for us. We should see ourselves, sure, as one piece of this, but we are connected to the rest. We can't just separate ourselves from everyone else in this room. We are in this together. And this congregational call means that we will commit to this as a people where we will see this pass from one generation to the next. I think that this picture in Deuteronomy 6 is a picture that's almost of what happens when Psalm 145 is lived out. See, Psalm 145, again, that picture of they tell, they speak, they celebrate, they sing. This is what happens not only in homes, but then in our larger communities as well as we commit to passing faith from one generation to the next. As you think about God's faithfulness, this is what they were supposed to pass to the next generation. I can't imagine how many times the people of Israel heard the story of them maybe being delivered out of slavery in Egypt. It was something that was on their tongues. It was something that they were testifying to continually. And I think we need to ask the question, what is it that we're telling and retelling in our homes? What are the stories that we tell and retell around our dinner table? What are the stories that we tell and retell in our small group communities? What are the stories that we tell and retell whenever we come together as a church body? We want to tell and retell the stories of God's faithfulness to see faith passed from one generation to the next. Now, before we wrap up, I've got a few challenges I'm going to put out before us today just to consider as we approach these next six weeks. This is what we are challenging our church body to. First and foremost, we are asking you to commit to praying about your role to ste- uh, and, to stepping, uh, and to taking a step in passing faith to the next generation over the next six weeks. Notice that this is praying about taking a step. This is not praying and giving wishful thoughts. This is praying and actually being open to saying to God, okay, God, whatever it is you ask me to do, I'm going to do that. So we're asking each and every person in here, our congregation as a whole together, to commit to this prayer. But we're also asking you to commit to this, to commit to pouring into families and young people in your life. This could be family members. It could be kids or grandkids. It could be nieces, nephews. This could be uh, any number of, of people, maybe in your neighborhood, neighbors. It could be students that you have as an educator. This could be coworkers that you have that are coming in now that are younger than you, that are part of another generation. It could be the children of friends of your, yeah, the children of your, your friends. It could be any number of others in your life. But God has positioned you in each of these relationships to play a role in seeing faith pass from one generation to the next. As I was thinking about this this week, I thought about those of you in this room that are teachers and are like here at the home stretch. I just want to encourage you to keep pressing on. Don't just coast through the end of this year, but keep being intentional to do what you do each and every day to pass faith to the next generation. 
If you're here today and you are in a workplace, maybe you go in tomorrow with just eyes open to the generations working around you, thinking about maybe how you can mentor other people in your workplace to show them what it looks like to navigate different seasons in, in their occupation and how it is that you have done that as well. There's so many different ways that, that you can run after this. This next one is specifically for parents. I want to challenge you to uh, engage in the Parent Discipleship Workshop. We've got a couple opportunities coming up. One will be a two, um, like two two-hour blocks, March 28th and April 4th. And then the other one will be four hours on a Saturday morning. That one will be on April 2nd. You can find out more information about that at cccgo.com forward slash info. Um, but the hope is, is that you will actually leave those trainings with a, a playbook or like a plan for what family discipleship looks like so that you can have that together. And then in a month, whenever you realize it didn't work at all, you can come back to it and say, okay, how do we need to adjust the goal here isn't giving you a silver bullet. It's just helping you be more intentional in the everyday stuff of life so that you can figure out what it looks like to be parents who pass faith to the next generation. Now, this next challenge is one that is huge. This is a collective call once again. The challenge we're putting before our congregation is to fully staff our kids and youth ministries between now and Easter over the next six weeks. We currently have, I think, 27 openings on Sunday nights for middle school or high school ministry. And then we have uh, over 40, I think it was 47 in elementary or in kids world on a Sunday morning. During this service last week, uh, we had 26 first and second grade girls together in um, the class back there with one of our wonderful staff members and volunteers. Uh, and we were kind enough to her to pull the second grade out of that to get her from 26 all the way down to 19 kids in her classroom <laughs> but she could use someone to come alongside her and help her. It's not like you have to do everything. We need people who will be present and who will invest in this next generation. We're committed to training you for what that looks like. There are serving opportunities throughout the week that you can do if you can't be here on a weekend. We want you to plug in. And you can do this by going to cccgo.com forward slash serve. There's a thing that says immediate needs and kids and youth are right there. Or right after you're done here, you can go out these doors and uh, just to the right, um, just past the connection center, there's a youth table out there and our uh, youth director, Jeremiah Roop will be out there. He has a big beard. And then um, Alexa may be out there as well if she can escape from kids world long enough to pop over here. But talk to somebody, get signed up. That's something that, again, we're not just talking about today. This is the goal over the next six weeks. But if you are someone in here who like, you already know you need to be serving in kids world and you've just been like waiting, sign up today, okay? Don't leave here without getting plugged in to a place to serve there. Now I want to just to pause for a second and I need everyone to take a deep breath. All right, I just threw out a lot of things, right? That can be overwhelming. It can seem like it's just too much and I get that. But these are things that if we come together as a church, it can be incredible and in just seeing the progress we can make in passing faith to the next generation. I'm not asking everyone in here to do every one of those things, but I know that every person in here has a step we can take. Before we close out today, I do want to speak to um, some people in the room. First, I wanted to speak to those of you in here who maybe feel like you've blown it. Maybe that's because you look at what's happened with your kids or with your grandkids, or maybe you just look at your own life and you think about the fact that you don't feel like you have much to pass on to the next generation. 
I just want you to know that we have a God that's in the business of redeeming stories, and he's really good at that. We have a God who's not scared of any mess. In fact, he saw the mess that was our world and stepped into it in the person of Jesus to rescue us and to redeem us. So if that is you, I want you to know that God desires you to have an experience of him today. If you're here today and maybe that burden is a child or a grandchild, I want you to know we'd love to have you come forward when we wrap up today just to pray with you so that we can listen and weep with you and cry out to the Lord on behalf of your child as well. It's not an easy thing. And hearing this idea of taking ownership can be a weighty thing, but it's not something we're asking people to take on their own. We want to walk this journey with you. Now, as we wrap up, I want to engage again with some different people. So if you are uh, 29 and younger, would you stand up? I know, twice in one service. He's the worst. We want you to know that that we are committed to you as a generation. (laughs) You guys are in a ton of different spaces in life. Some of you are students. Some of you are starting careers. Some of you are starting families. Some of you are running away from starting a family. You're just trying to make it as long as you can without that. I know that this covers a lot of ground, but we need you where you are. My son is currently five, well, he'll be five years old here in a couple of days, and he is just blown away by this concept of this group of people known as teenagers. Have you heard of them? He wants to be one when he grows up, all right? And he needs people that will invest in his life. He needs people from your generation who will commit to doing that. I know we've got people that are engaging with my seven-month-old daughter, and she needs that love now, and she's going to need it for years to come. So we not only see you and we not only need you, but we value, we treasure you. I appreciate those of you who are already doing this. I appreciate Ben, you plugging in and and serving with young boys and pouring into them. Chase and Madison, if you're in here, the way that you pour into kids and youth and so many others that are already doing this. For your generation, know that we see you, we love you, we need you. You guys can have a seat. All right, this is where I start getting in trouble. Those 31 to 55, would you stand up? Cam told you and I were always, always same generation here, always. So, Y'all, I know that you're probably in a space where you are like really tired for a number of reasons. That could be that like you're really tired because I've been preaching for a long time. It could also be that you're really tired um, because you've got young kids. It could also be that you're really tired because you're trying to figure out a way to get your nest emptied, okay? This covers a lot of ground, and I want you to know that we as a church are committed to you. We want to walk with you with whatever you're navigating, whether that is uh, both spectrums of parenting there, or if that is like stuff going on in your career right now, an unexpected changing career, or any number of other things. We are committed to you, and we also need you. (laughs) We need you to be committed to the next generation as well. We need you to be committed to the generation above you as well. We need you to pour yourselves into those around you to shape and share what what God has done in your life and to pass that on to the next generation. Thank you. You're good. Now, this is where I get in really big trouble because everybody says, why didn't you move that 5, 10, 15 years one way or another? But we're just going to go ahead and say it. 56 and older, go ahead and stand up. If you're upset, you can email me at pheller at cccgo.com. 
or rking at cccco.com. Either one of those will work. We love you guys, and we need you. Not only that, but we are committed to you as you're navigating life as well. Whether it's looking forward to retirement or you're like just enjoying retirement where you are today, we want to walk with you and figuring out how to do that faithfully as you continue to try to follow Jesus in the meantime. We wanna find ways for you to plug in and serve. We wanna find ways for you to enjoy the, the blessing of this life that God has given you. We want to keep pouring into you and we also need you. As a parent of a young family, I'm just gonna speak for myself right now. I need you investing in my kids. I wanna say thank you to those of you who are, who don't have to, but have chosen to invest in my child by letting him help with things that, that maybe he's not very helpful with, by choosing to speak life into him and call out gifts you see in him. Those of you who've chosen to love my daughter and care for her, I am so grateful for you. But there are a group of young parents here that continue to need you to invest in this next generation. I can't speak about the value that you bring because of the life experience you have, because of the ways that you've seen God's faithfulness. And I don't want you to hold that. I want to see and leverage a ways for you to pass that to the next generation. So we see you, we love you, we need you. You guys can stay standing. Everyone else stand up. I talked earlier about how we're really good at sometimes like pointing fingers at different generations, right? We're really good at looking at problems and saying, well, that's the millennials' fault, or well, or okay, boomer, whatever. Yeah, I had to get that in there. You know, we can throw all those different things out. Um, but this whole problem that we're facing today with what's going on with our young people, this isn't a millennial problem. It's not a Gen Z problem. It's not a baby boomer problem. It's not a Gen Xer problem. It's not any generation's problem, but this is a we us problem. And it's gonna take we slash us solutions, okay? So what we're doing in this series is we're saying that each and every person you see that you look around and see today, we are coming together to say that we are going to be a new generation. <laughs> generation we, who is saying that this is not gonna be someone else's problem, this is gonna be our problem. <laughs> this is not gonna be a solution I look to someone else to take care of, this is gonna be a solution I am a part of. This is what we're inviting you into as a church today. Let's pray together and then we're gonna have a baptism. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the way you've shown yourself faithful each and every generation throughout history. God, I pray right now that you would help us to see the ways that you have given us opportunities to, to pass faith to the next generation or maybe even pass it ahead to the generation above us. God, we trust you with the series. We trust you with what you want to do in our lives. We want to say yes. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.